Welcome to the Good Chris Sophian Talks podcast. I'm Levi. And I'm Chris. Thank you so much for joining us this week. On this podcast, we select one talk a week to help each one of us get the Bible in our daily newsfeed. We post at the start of each week for you to listen with a short intro beforehand to kind of set the stage for the talk you're about to hear. And now, let's hear more about this week's talk. For this week, we're listening to a talk that was recommended to us by multiple people from Brother Dave Ornig, an exhortation that he gave at the Blackburn Ecclesia in Melbourne, Australia. And the overall theme of Brother David's exhortation is self-control, and he's looking at the concept of the self-discipline that everybody needs to develop. Uh, especially during these times when we're having a lot a lot of people, you have a lot more time on your hands. Um, and he draws a lot of really good parallels to the focus and exercise and uh, discipline that athletes have, uh, while also highlighting some of the failings that we as humans have when it comes to trying to stay focused and stay mentally disciplined uh, to do all the things that you know we hear lots of people talk about. Uh, things that we need to do, both whether it's eating right, exercising, or in the case of our faith, studying scripture, praying, uh, doing the daily readings. Uh, and it was just a good reminder of how it can be really easy for us to always try to put off what we think we should do, and our minds are naturally predisposed to letting us do that, and kind of always thinking that, you know, I have all this time on my hands that I can do something and instead to realize that you only have so much that you need to focus and spend each moment trying to do as best you can for God. Um, found it to be a really in- encouraging one. Brother David does a good job of being really honest both about himself and just with how we as humans think and work uh, with this exhortation. Um, so it was a, a good reminder for that one. And uh, felt it was a a good uplifting one to kind of try to refocus yourself uh, for the coming week. As I mentioned, this was a recommendation that was sent in actually by two separate people. Um, They both heard this exhortation and sent it our way, not realizing that they both were recommending it at the same time. So when we get multiple recommendations for the same talk, uh, we always want to make sure we go to listen and, and share it as it's one that a lot of people are excited about. So um, with that, we'll turn it over to our brother, David Ornig, for his exhortation on self-control. Our title this morning is Self-Control in Times of Trial, Okay, especially these last days that perhaps we are living in. And um, our theme really is around the need for our self-discipline and our self-control to be able to stay the course. And hopefully we walk away from this uh, refreshed and knowing that we can overcome and we can stay that course. Particularly, we're going to be looking at um, coronavirus, you know, COVID, and why is it so challenging? Um, and perhaps it's, we'll find this because it's part of a bigger problem for us. Um, of course, we'll look at the vanity of pursuing happiness in this life now um, and our divergence that we've made and to, to stay a new path. And then hopefully we'll draw and conclude with drawing on some advice from Scripture and some perfect examples that we have laid out for us to be able to stay that course and maintain our self-control. 
Um, before we get into it, I just sort of want to go through a couple of the key verses from our from our reading this morning um, that really frame up again what we're talking about. The first of which is is right in the beginning. It says, "Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage." Another one is. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the lust of the flesh lustest against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that they cannot, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Another is, and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the spirit, let us also walk in the spirit. And finally, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap everlasting life. So let us not be weary in well-doing. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not. And before we really get stuck into it, I sort of for right from the outset, I want to make a bit of a disclaimer statement, as it were, because we are going to be looking at what we can do and what we must do and what we can control, okay? The theme is very much so about our decisive, our decisive actions and commitments that we, we must take. But I want to, I want to, you know, say that I'm not saying that we can earn this grace or we can earn the saving, okay? I'm not saying that. Um, and I'm not saying that it isn't God who empowers us and changes us to be able to do these things. And of course, there's, you know, many scriptures that back that, those comments up. Um, and two pieces from Paul, which I find give us real comfort and really reinforces this point. Firstly is Philippians 2 verse 13, which reads, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. And another one is Ephesians 2 verse 7, which reads, That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not of works, lest any man should boast. Okay, so we preface our comments this morning with, you know, those very amazing and hope-filling comments that, you know, we can go into. But today I want to look at what our, our required contribution is. Okay, continuing straight on from that Ephesians 2 um, reference we just read, in verses 10 to 11 of the same chapter, reads, For we are the workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which before God hath ordained or intended that we should walk in them. Now, they're very much so verbs. They're doing words. Um and I find that those words paint the full picture, okay? We are very much so required to walk and respond unto good works. And that's what we want to focus on today. How can and should we be responding to trial and life in general? So I want to pose a hypothetical situation to you, okay? What would you do if somebody gave you 80 days to do whatever you wanted? 80 days. Without the normal distraction of work. Without needing to leave your house without the sporting and social commitments that perhaps take our time, without needing to get ready for church on Sunday morning or get your kids ready for Sunday school as, as normal, without the distraction of having to drive to school or work or be tied down by traffic, without even having to have the social uh, thing that we all seem to miss so much, you know, having people over for dinner, without even having that distraction, 
How would you spend those really precious days, you know, perhaps hours that you never thought you would have, maybe even hours that you wished you had? How would you spend that time? Would you read the old works from our founding fathers? Uh, would you study something unique, something you've always thought, oh, once I get time, I'm going to sit down and read that? Would you learn a new language? Would you maybe learn an instrument? Would you try and upskill yourself in some space? Would you meditate, you know, get fit, eat healthy? Or would you succumb to feelings of depression and tiredness and lethargy? Would you binge watch TV shows and YouTube and movies? Would you spend hours gaming? Would you do copious online shopping? Would you eat and drink too much? Would you go stir crazy at home and maybe even start despising the people you're, you're cooped up with? Would you allow your thoughts to indulge themselves in whatever thoughts and inclinations pop into your mind and into your heart? Would you scroll on your phone for hours and hours on end? Brothers and sisters, the trial we find ourselves in collectively is this lockdown. And I'm, of course, talking to us here in Melbourne, us specifically here in Melbourne. Currently, we're experiencing a collective trial. Um, and this time of COVID, you know, this especially this second wave or this second, you know, second lockdown, you know, there's this sense of Groundhog Day. It just prevails. It's the same thing over and over again. Um, excuses abound. Uh, mental exhaustion is everywhere. Uh, you know, people will tell you it's okay to feel like this. Lay down to it a little bit. It's okay. Stop being so hard on yourself. And feelings of depression are, you know, almost an everyday normality. There's the term being coined in the media now, the depression pandemic in Victoria. And I'm sure that over the past weeks, you know, us again, particularly here in Melbourne, have all had a mix of these feelings, yeah? Mental health challenges, of course, are a massive topic of late for everybody, especially those in isolation and lockdown scenarios. And realistically, some of the strongest and healthiest minds, you know, be it religious or otherwise, um, who are notorious for practicing great self-control and great resilience, have succumbed to some form of mental degradation. The novelty has definitely worn off, and we're left with this. What we're left with is an epic amount of time to be introspective and to focus on our own situations and ourselves. And realistically, we may even be bored for the first time since we were children. Hopefully we've all had days, though, of, or, you know, some moments where we've achieved something, felt fulfilled, let the sun shine on our face. You know, hopefully it has been a mix of not just downs, it's ups and downs. But certainly for me, I've been really amazed at how um, the amount of mental drain that this, you know, lockdown has caused. Um, my, my usual very reliable resilience and ability to control myself and overcome procrastination has just seemingly drained away and it now requires the most immense effort every day. And herein, I think, lies the really tricky part. Why are we, that is, faithful Christ followers, feeling this? Now, if you're not, excellent. And that's very good that you're not. Fantastic, okay? And perhaps this isn't for you. But if you are, and, I, and I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that probably a lot of us are, why is that? Why are we, the ones who have faith and believe in Christ, feeling this? And I believe it's because it's perhaps part of a bigger ongoing challenge that isolation may have simply just shed some light on for us. And that challenge is that human nature is fundamentally lacking in self-control. And I've got to be really honest here. I actually chose this topic because I was hoping to find some, you know, miracle cure. I was trying to find some, you know, passage in the Bible that excused my, um, you know, my, my feelings and gave me an out. Or even if I read it, it was just like a, a bit of spirit power was just magically imbued on me and I was able to overcome. That's what I was hoping for. But what I did find, however, 
was that this is the very nature of the challenge we are facing. And the very nature of that is, of course, ourselves. We poor, weak ones. This is both a trial and an opportunity for us, brothers and sisters. So in Proverbs, um, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29, right through to um, chapter 2, verse 5, Solomon writes of two paths applicable to this situation we find ourselves in. Two paths. The first is a failure to be disciplined enough to chase it, chase it like a prize, and verses two, an active pursuit of the prize. Not an achievement of the prize, an active pursuit of the prize. I'm going to read it for you. It says, so for, for, um, Proverbs 1, verse 29 through to 2, verse 5. For, they that, for that they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel. They despised all my reproof. Therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. For the turning away of the simple shall slay them and the prosperity of fools shall destroy them. But whosoever hearkeneth unto me shall dwell safely and shall be quiet from fear of evil. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide my commandments with thee so that thou incline thine ear unto wisdom and apply thine heart to understanding, yea, if thou criest after knowledge and lifteth up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as silver and searchest for her as hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge of God. That's eight verbs in four verses, okay? Receive, hide, incline, apply, cry, lift up, seek, search. And further in Proverbs, again, right in chapter 3, verse 6, he simply instructs us to acknowledge God in everything we do, and then God will direct our journey. Simple and very comforting. So if this is where our mind is, if we're thinking like this, we will know to remain and be connected with our Father. And then we can be very sure that He will direct our lives and the way that it goes. If we acknowledge Him, you know, His presence in everything that we do, in, you know, just doing that, that very action alone will absolutely change how we behave, how we think. It will change our perception, which in turn will change our reality, the experience we're having. Now, easier to say, right? But why is, it so cha- why is it such a challenge for us still? And there's an answer to that. It's because we're all very guilty of something. It's called self-sabotage. So we humans in general, we're capable of so much. Okay, Humans in general have this amazing ability to be so capable. And God has gifted us with free will. So we can choose to access that capability. Um, and we've got so many abilities. You just need to look around the world at what some people can achieve. But so few of us humans access anywhere near our potential. And now we, that's the elect, well, we know of the amazing prize. We know the meaning of life. We know the amazing prize that's set before us. We also know how to get to it. And we know that all we have to do to be able to achieve it, to follow after it, is just so, so simple. But we're here and we're all guilty of some form of self-sabotage. Why does that happen? Why does it happen? Well, Romans talks heavily about this. Romans 7 in particular um, in a passage between verse 14 to 25, it talks, it, it sums up yeah, perfectly like this. That which I would, I do not. And that which I would not, that I do. It's such frustration in the writings. Again, in Proverbs, you know, particularly in verse 21 through to 23, speaks of this drunkard and a glutton. Uh, in you know, both self-serving and self-sabotaging attributes, a drunkard and a glutton. And of course, they're metaphorical 
of the vanity and self-service and self-pleasures and lacking in self-control. That's what those two, drunken and glutton, it's metaphorical for, you know, a lack of self-control and it's just self-servient. And it reads, the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. Instead, buy, you know, purchase, access, truth, wisdom, instruction and understanding and sell it not. Don't let it go. And further in, in the same chapter, uh, verse 29 to 30, um, again, regarding that drunkard and the glutton, that metaphor, says, you know, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contentions, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without cause and redness of eyes. Those, that's, that's talking about those, that metaphor, those people who are self-servient and just chasing after the things that they want. Of course, it's hard and they're missing out and all those things, yeah? Because one of the key contributors to self-sabotage is self-pity. And that's a tough one, yeah? Right now, it's a tough one. In a time of isolation, like we've already said, our thoughts tend to go introspective. Uh, in fact, I personally believe this is the reason why many more Melbournians, 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 have been so largely impacted with mental health struggles. It's the excessive time that we have to be introspective. Brother Josiah actually touched on this perfectly last week. Um, you know, he said we have this time to think and think about ourselves and th- explore ourselves, and it's both good and bad. We have to nip self-pity in the bud. Because self-pity stops us achieving spiritual growth right in the tracks, yeah? But we're told to grow. Self-pity drives us towards a sense of no hope. We've certainly got a hope. Self-pity is fundamentally selfish. And we are commanded to care for one another. Where, when we're feeling self-pity, where's our thoughts? Where's our minds? Or where's our focus? Completely on ourselves. We're not caring for our brother or our sister. Self-pity is realistically born of a feeling that we're missing out. What are we missing out on? Like, honestly, what are we worried about? And what can be said of our vision and our faith when we wallow in self-pity? What did Jesus tell his disciples? He said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever would save his life will lose it. But whosoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And that's perspective, if ever there was perspective. Solomon coins a famous phrase, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. All pursuits under the sun, but one, will leave us wanting more. They'll leave us with a feeling of unsatiation. And realistically, this is the conundrum that, you know, that is human nature. And probably no more true than here in the Western world where we have so much. Um, you know, the latest in trainings and revolutionary, revolutionary power speech um, in re- is reteaching professionals and students alike the importance of resilience through gratitude, empathy, and mindfulness. And of course, these teachings are true. You know, us human beings, we're very clever, pe- clever people, and we understand human nature, and we understand how to short-circuit it to our benefit to some degree as well. But the big thing that's being missed here in this teaching is the vanity of it. The vanity of all this, you know, trying to achieve happiness and satisfaction in this life, completely missing the point. Ecclesiastes 8 verse 14 speaks, says this very, you know, this, this phrase. It says, there's a vanity which is done upon the earth. And that is self-pleasure, self, you know, a lack of self-control, yeah? And, and further to that comment, um, Solomon writes, you know what, if that's the case, then I just commend mirth. 
Because a man has no better thing under the sun than to eat and to drink and to be merry. For that, those things, will abide, with, will abide with him for all the days of his life, which God has given him under the sun. So however long that is, just go, be merry, just do it. Because if that's where your mind's at, you might as well enjoy it. We humanity are addicted to the pleasures of service to self, yeah? Also known as sin. And all of that is vanity. You know, evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. We read of them this morning. We are are addicted to self-pleasure and self-service, or at very least the pursuit of it, you know, trying to get happiness, trying to get things, satisfaction and gratification for today. They're all attributes of self-service. And the pursuit of it is an addictive behavior and it can be very blinding. But we, that is us again, the elect, we've been called away from this. We made a divergence from that. We have had our eyes opened. It is now to us to keep awake and be vigilant. And we can't allow ourselves to be swept up in the, you know, the mourning for what we had. You know, oh, you know, remember when we were able to do this and remember that, you know, because that's driven from a, a fear of missing out. Think, oh, look, I'll think about that as, think about Lot's wife, yeah, when she's turning back. She's on the road to salvation and she turns back because of what she had. That's going to be destroyed. We're on a journey away from our death towards our salvation. So don't worry about it. How do we avoid this behavior? though? How do we avoid this, this conundrum? Well, words of our Lord, Matthew 26, verse 41. Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. So if we consider those words of our Lord to that which, you know, which we read today in Galatians, you know, where we talked about the, uh, you know, the attributes of the fruit of the spirit and the works of the flesh. Brother Luke's been helping us explore that, you know, on the Wednesdays as well. What we need to be doing is watching ourselves and controlling ourselves and, and scrutinizing ourselves. Which category do we fall under? Which category does our action fall under? Or what are we currently subscribing to? The fruits of the spirit or the works of the flesh? And again, just a small side note from our reading today, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 2, talks to us about the need to bear one another's burdens. You're not expected to do this alone. We do have a community of like-minded brothers and sisters and, and families to support each other, get around each other. We, we, we must, we're not, we're not to do it alone. What Galatians 5, particularly in verses 19 to 20, tells us is that if we allow this self-sabotaging behavior to go on, it's pretty bad because it means that we won't inherit and we're no longer part of the promise. In Hebrews 10, verse 39, I'm going to read it from the ESV, says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. That's us. So we need to be strong. Yeah, that's us. So COVID and isolation aside, the need to have and maintain self-control and to keep going and to stay focused, that is our duty. That very bit there, the keeping on going, is our contribution to the commitment that we made. When, and we will get knocked down, it's the consistent getting back up again, the staying of the course um, over and over again, the striving at it. That's the duty that we have. That's where we can perform. Because we know our God wants to fill the whole earth with his glory. And how? By filling it with people who, with free will, 
choose to actively follow and do and live his way despite what they want to do? And how do we know how to do that or that it can be done? We've been given a pretty impressive example of it, of self-control, perfect self-control. And we're to emulate and reflect the example of our Lord in our thoughts, in our activities and our minds. We're to fill our minds, our time, our communications and all our actions with Christ-like things. And to do that takes self-control and discipline because it's not natural to us. It's not going to just happen. Now, I said before that I was trying to find it like a cheat or some sort of you know magic phrase. I did come across one. It's a little bit of a life hack. Let's call it an eternal life hack. Um, and that is that you only have to do it today. You don't have to worry about tomorrow. Just do it today. Matthew 6, words of our Lord says, Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Realistically, let's act only for today. Like literally, if we can live as though any minute now, Christ is going to walk in. Whilst we're having some lunch today, that Christ will walk in. Or the angel will tap you on the shoulder and say, it's time. Let's just live like that. Every minute, as if focused on that. Because by doing that alone, just working for today, it turns this seemingly insurmountable task into this perfectly narrow field of vision. You're just worried about today. Because tomorrow will, will sort itself out. Tomorrow may not come. So we need to actively do this. We need to actually work at it. It won't happen from the cursory glance at a Bible or trying to stay focused on Zoom or YouTube for two to three times a week. It's just not going to happen. We need to enact self-control just like an athlete does or someone who's trying to achieve something. We need to overcome the lethargy that we may be experiencing. Now, we've used the word divergence a couple of times today. We, that is the baptised, called out ones, have made a divergence. And that means to break away, to deviate from what was the enticing and extremely monotonous path towards death. Very reliable path straight to death. But we've chosen a path the straight and narrow path. And how do, when did we choose that? Well, we chose when we responded to the call that was made, meaning really God chose us. And then we responded in baptism, which was faithful and it was obedience, but it was our first step. And by doing that, by getting baptized and being, you know, re responding correctly, what we did was we committed to a divergence from the dead end path that we were on. But now we need to have the discipline to be able to stick to our wonderful and correct choice, yeah? And that means a commitment to being, to keeping and to striving. And at no point has anyone said that it's going to be easy. No one at any point promised you that this would be easy. In fact, in fact, we're actually repeatedly told that if we're feeling persecuted and we're feeling it's hard and it's, 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 you know, we're pushing it uphill, it's, you know, we should be happy. Because that's when we know we're learning and being molded. That's when we should rejoice because we know that's our opportunity to shine and that's our opportunity for God to work in our lives. So we do need to keep ourselves in check, be disciplined, self-controlled and keep to the new path. We need to remember that we are living our new lives. Our new lives that is eternally right now, today. We've already we've washed the other life away. Now we're living our new life today. Remember, just today. Now the challenge is, Long-range thinking beyond our 70 to 80 years is very foreign to us as human beings. Yeah, um, it's, it's outside our social construct. We don't know how to plan mentally. Our society is not set up to plan outside our normal lifespan. 
And to, you know, to illustrate that even further, it's even foreign for us to plan for less than our 70, 80 years. We don't, we don't teach people how to set up their investment strategies and, and, you know, their education and their careers and their dreams around a 20 to 30 year lifespan unless they're given some sort of uh, terminal, you know, prognosis. We don't do that. We just, we're not mentally geared in our environment to do that. So to literally live each day as if it was the last, the sort of discipline and self-control required for that is extremely unique. But our faith is extremely unique and extremely challenging. Do you know why? Because we don't know the day or the hour that we have to get to. We don't know how long we have to actually train for the big event. And remember our eternal life hack. We must stop and acknowledge that the big event is actually occurring right now. Like right now is the big event. It's happening now. And it's going to continue to occur either when we, until either we die or the Lord returns. And we don't know how long that is in reality. So as such, I'm going to put it out there that the COVID timeline should be inconsequential to us, yeah? Now, developing as people, like becoming like Christ, it takes dedication. It takes commitment to change into something else, to, to become something that we're not. I'm going to give you a little example, okay? So if you're into fishing, or at least you want to become into fishing, and I mean like you really want to get into fishing, you really want to be into fishing, you will, you'll read the fishing magazines. You're going to have all the gear and the equipment. You're going to research it online. You're going to read the how-to books. You're going to talk with other fishermen, naturally. You're going to go fishing a lot. You're going to spend all your spare time and probably spare money at the fishing and tackle stores, buying fishing equipment, investing in your craft. No doubt you will know what time of day works best for what fish, where to go, where the sweet spots are, and what bait will give you maximum action. You're going to speak the jargon. You'll dress the part naturally for maximum comfort, stealth, and style. And you will be the go-to guy or girl when it comes to others wanting to know about fishing. Fishing is your reality. And you are good at fishing. You love fishing. And this is what you think about you, in fact, will most likely be known as a fisherman. So it stands to reason then that if we want to be known and seen by God as disciples of our Lord and Master, as in those who reflect the character of that perfect example, the Lord Jesus Christ, with our understanding of how human nature works now, that we need to be constantly filling ourselves with his teachings, his words, his lessons, and all the paraphernalia that goes along with a life in Christ, and that is our company. It should be with those who have similar interests. In Christadelphian speak, we say those of like precious faith, because it's true. We need to be constant in prayer, Romans 12. We need to meditate on the things that we are learning and experiencing and reflect on how that is part of our molding process. We need to confess our faults one to another so that we can both get help from our brothers and sisters, but also provide help and open that trust. We need to spend our time serving Christ by serving our neighbours, our fellow brothers and sisters. Our spare time, our vacant thoughts, our dreams and our lives should be filled with the things that pertain unto a life of godliness. Second Peter 1 verse 3 tells us that. Because if we do, if we actually do that, that will become our reality. And it will certainly change and move us as people. We will become and mould into disciples of Christ. Let me read for you 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 to 27. 
Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receives the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that strives for the mastery, now mastery there is translated to overcome an adversary or achieve a prize, is temperate in all things. And temperate there literally translates as exercises self-restraints and self-control. So that read that verse again. It says, every man that strives to overcome and win the prize exercises self-control and restraint. Now they, back to the athlete that's running, do it to obtain a corruptible crown. But we, an incorruptible, I therefore so run, not as uncertainty. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air in vain. If we consider the example of the athlete that Paul is referencing just there in that passage, what is an athlete? Well, they're self-controlled. They diet. They get up early. They're committed to what they're trying to achieve. They do it, and they do it even though they, they probably want to sleep in, and they don't want to train all the time. Why? To win the race. Why? For self-fulfillment. All temporary, vain rewards, really. Fantastic, but temporary. But we, of course, are after an incorruptible reward. So we need to be more committed. We need to offer more. Ours is so much greater than that prize. And and yet, shouldn't we be doing a heck of a lot more to achieve that then? So again, let's now look to the true example of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, who is often tempted, you know, and Josiah painted this picture last week of uh, reminding us of, you know, when, when Christ had legions of, of angels available to him, he still overcame, you know. There were times where he sweated great drops of blood or it's such mental challenge, yet he overcame. That's the example that we're following. And I thought it was, I thought it would be apt to look at Solomon and take Solomon's advice on how to, you know, gain self-control and what we should be doing to overcome. Because he certainly experienced the plethora and he, he found his way through it. The wisest man in the Bible, as we know. And what Solomon advises his audience is, is to go on a pursuit. A pursuit to get wisdom, to get knowledge and to get instruction. And once you have those, to obtain understanding. And then, and, and this is the key, I believe, to successful staying power. He advises to continually bind these to ourselves. And Proverbs 6, verses 21 to 22, he says, Bind them continually upon your heart and tie them about your neck. When thou goest, it'll lead thee. And when thou sleepest, it'll keep thee. And when thou awakest, it'll talk with you. Again, Proverbs in chapter 3, verse 3, it also says, Bind mercy and truth about your neck and write them upon the table of your heart. In, literally, inscribe them on your heart. And, and Proverbs 7, verse 3 says, bind them on your fingers, on your fingers. So literally everything you touch is, is, is with these precepts. Everything you touch, it's on your fingers. It's involved in everything. And I think these verses are perfect for understanding the motivation or at least the motions that are required to make these things real for us. The continual binding. It's like a knot, you know, a poorly tied knot with the vibration of movement, it'll eventually come loose and you have to keep tightening it up to hold the whatever you're trying to hold or a captive that's trying to escape. And if you don't keep an eye on it, it's going to eventually get under its bonds and run away. You have to keep tying it up and keep it. Okay? And again, this theme of putting it into our heart and writing it in there, the things that we are called to do are not natural to us, so we can't pretend they are. They don't already live in our hearts. We have to actually inscribe it in there, you know, like carve it into our hearts and make it part of us. It's almost brutal. 
And how true does this sentiment that Solomon talks about here ring when you consider our Lord's words in, um, in Matthew 24, where he's, he's speaking of, you know, as in the days of Noah, every man doing that which was right in his own eyes and, and following every lust in his own heart. It's not naturally there. That's what will happen if we don't consistently, committedly stick to this. And of course, Solomon's writings are full of wise instruction, like seek knowledge, instruction, and self-control, but he goes further. In Proverbs 25, verse 28, he says, He that hath no rule over his spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. And what is a city that's broken down without walls? It's vulnerable. And our theme for consideration today is just that. Let's focus on what and why we need self-discipline and self-control. Because we need to stand guard. Stand guard where? Stand guard at the door of our hearts and our minds. Solomon's advice to get wisdom, knowledge, and instruction is added to when he stresses the need to keep these, the perpetual ongoing task. And I love this. Some of the final words in Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 12 to 14 says, Much study is a weariness of flesh, and much seeking for it is a weariness of flesh. Let's just hear the conclusion of the whole matter. One, fear God, and two, keep his commandments, because this is the whole duty of man. Brothers and sisters, this is the reality, our duty and what we must do. We cannot lie down to this one under the refuge of grace. We just can't. Our duty is to fear God and to keep his commandments. And again, the, that word, you know, it's an action. It's the verb to end all verbs because it's infinite. You know, endless and relentless. Keep, keep, keep. Keep turning to our God. Keep calling on our God. Keep picking ourselves up when we fall. Keep binding the precepts to our being to our, and to our hearts. Keep carrying our neighbor's burdens. Keep trying and trying to display Christ and reflect Christ in our every being. Are we going to fail? Probably. Are we going to repeat and repeat the same horrific cycle of sin? Probably. But we do have grace. We do have Christ covering. And we do have the wonderful reassurance that God knows us and what we are like. You know, he says, there is nothing new under the sun. So keep is all the way through Solomon's writings and also through David's you know, psalms. And it's keep the paths of righteousness. Keep the commandments with your heart. Keep your father's commandment. Keep sound wisdom and discretion. Keep instruction because it is your life. Keep your heart with all diligence because out of it are all the issues of life. Keep knowledge. Keep his words. Keep his ways. Keep your soul. Keep the law. Keep thy foot. Brothers and sisters, this again is the big challenge for us. It's the mission and the calling that we're tasked with. The true test that we've been given is to keep our focus, to hold our nerve, keep at it and to control our self-based wants and desires, to keep ourselves in check and be disciplined despite the trials and the challenges that we're given. Why? Because we know it's this that gives the glory to our Father when we choose and choose to obey him. This is it. We have been called to a new way, a better way. We have been promised great and wonderful things because we do have a hope and faith for better things and for the burden to be removed. We have a high priest who's the author of our faith, he has run before us and showed us the way. We have got a ja- get-out-of-jail-free card for when we inevitably stuff it up on repeat. We've been told we have direct access to our Father 24-7 and have evidence and a promise that it, he is actually going to work to improve us, especially during trial. And what do we have to do? Well, we just have to keep at it to control ourselves and remain in check to the new way. That's the challenge, and it's certainly easier said than done. It's easier imagined than achieved. And it's very much easier committed to than to actually mentally carrying it out. Self-control is not something we can just switch on, okay? It's not. 
It's something that can be trained, though. It's something that is developed, and it's something that you can gain and grow in. Either way, he is coming. Whether we're ready or not, whether we're active or not, asleep or awake, idling away time or maximising it, if we're disengaged from our first love or fully, fully connected. God wishes that none would perish, but some will. Because we're not bigger than God's plan. Fear God. Revere him. His will will be done. Yahweh, I am that I am. I will be who I will be. And Titus 2 verse 11 to 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of of the glory of our great God and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. So if we're starting to feel like we've fallen asleep at the watch, we better be careful because we can have eternity to sleep if we really want to. Now's not the time to sleep. We have to worry about just today. So let's just get that right. We've got to wake up. We've got to stand guard. And we've got to be ready with our garments. Good. That means we've actually got to be ready to go. And just like the athlete monitors, you know, monitors their, monitors their development, you know, with their, um, you know, their apps and their smart watches, watches and their, you know, whatever. We need the tools, just spiritual tools. We need to arm ourselves for a mental, physical battle. Words like soldier, labor, toil, trial, fiery trial, fight, battle, warrior, weep, gnash, plow, burden, weary, weak, poor, meek. These words are not used for something that is easily won, yeah? We wouldn't need to use those words or have those words if we weren't expecting a battle. And this era that we live in is not a physical persecution, you know, persecutory trial, okay? Maybe in different parts of the world, but what we're experiencing is not a physical persecution. It's a mental one, but that can't be underestimated. It's such, it, it requires as much attentive, active action as does any other trial, because no other generation in the world has ever had the mental bombardment that we experience, the amount of technology and information that's telling us that we're wrong, you're wrong, you're going the wrong way, even though we know we're going the right way. So how do we arm or equip ourselves? Well, the spiritual warrior. Ephesians 6, verse 11 to 18. Not going to read it, of course. Put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand up to the adversary because we are wrestling against a spiritual wickedness. Verse 14 of that section, big key word right in the beginning, building on our word keep, is stand. And stand in that space translates as abide, continue, covenant, establish, set up, hold up, present. How perfect is that? Stand. And how do we need to do this? With the mind of the Spirit, the mind of Christ in us. Philippians 2 verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Jesus Christ. It's mindful of time, so I'm just going to close by simply drawing on a few you know, messages of motivation straight from the Bible. And that's the first one is 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, informing us that all the effort we're going to do and all the effort we're going to make is not in vain. Which reads, therefore, my, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is in the Lord is not in vain. Matthew 19, verse 26, it tells us not to try and go it alone, because the kind of staying power we need is God-given. So we need to turn to him. It reads, Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Proverbs 3 verse 26, Proverbs again, tells us how we can actually keep 
with such challenges. It says, For the Lord shall be your confidence, and shall keep thy foot from being taken. Psalm 34, verse 17 to 20, comforts us when our spirit is crushed and exhausted, and it tells us to cry out because God will hear us. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. James 1, verse 2 to 4, encourages us to persevere. Because the very fact that we are needing to persevere means our faith is being tried, worked and strengthened. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its works, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. That's the goal. Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2, it instructs us to not lose sight of who has done it before and who the author and faith, author of our faith is, that ultimate example of self-control. And that reads, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And Isaiah 40, verse 28 through to 31, reminds us to not forget why and for who we are doing this, and to take heart because everyone stumbles and everyone grows weary, because, but we will soar on eagles' wings. It reads, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired and weary. In his understanding, no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. And finally, the words of our Lord in Matthew 11. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Thank you for listening to the Good Christadelphian Talks podcast. Please subscribe for new episodes and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or whichever service you are listening from to help people find the show when they search for it. If you enjoyed this talk, share it on social media so other people can find it too. For show notes and links to the talk that you just listened to, visit our show page at anchor.fm slash gct. We want to encourage everyone to share their thoughts from the talk this week on Facebook or Instagram, where we are at Good Christadelphian Talks or on Twitter, where we are at GCT underscore podcast. If you know of a great talk, we want to know about it too. Send a suggestion to goodchristadelphiantalks at gmail.com or message us on any of our social media platforms. Thank you for listening. God bless and talk to you next week.